here we go. Client stops by, computer client. And he needed me to show him how to open attachments to email. Okay. So I show him. I show him like five times. Explain the whole thing to him. Walk him through it. Watch him do it. But an hour after he leaves, my phone rings. I can't get this to work. So I walk him through it again on the phone. So many times when you think about it, does stuff like that happen, right? You get in some situation, it's with a coworker or kids or whoever, and you just think to yourself, you know, my patience is wearing thin. My patience is just wearing thin. Are you done your best to tolerate someone? Maybe they constantly harass you or they're just incompetent or they're just generally annoying. Like me. And you end up feeling like this guy in this picture, right? Last straw. <laughs> I mean, whenever that happens, I realize in my head, I know we should be patient. In fact, it's part of the fruit of the spirit, right? But at some point, it seems, and sometimes sooner than later, that failure is imminent. And the fruit will be mushy. Lose our patience. I kind of call this the dilemma of growth. And what I mean by that is we can have really good intentions, right? But sheer will alone is not enough to maintain, in this case, patience in the face of constant assault. You just can't do it. You can't just gin up enough patience all the time when there's just a constant barrage of whatever is annoying you around you. Or you can't, you can't gin up enough kindness to always be kind, right? And eventually, if you try to do it with your own strength and your own power, you're going to fail. But see, God expects certain things to be developing in every one of us. He says in Galatians 5, 22 and 23, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there's no law. Now there's my patience right there in the middle, right after peace. Seems I usually lose both of those together, along with my like phone and wallet. Peace and patience. And I read that verse, right? I mean, I look at that. I, those are really good things. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, 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 self-control. Those sound like awesome things. I want some of that. I mean, does anyone not want more kindness? Oh, man, I really wish I was just as really mean as possible. <laughs> right? Anybody want? I mean, who doesn't want more goodness or faithfulness? Who doesn't want more peace? Right? You just open the new roundabout. I have less peace. Who doesn't want more patience? I mean, I do. So something happens and then I lose patience. Like people losing their sense of direction in the roundabout. It all sounds good, right? I want more of those things. So I try to get them and it seems like it's worse against me. I don't have more of those things. I sometimes feel like I have less. Now last week, we looked at how Paul in Philippians 3, 
shows us that knowing Jesus is the greatest, most important thing there is in life. Everything else in life compared to knowing Jesus, in, in Paul's mind, is worthless by comparison. Knowing Jesus is that awesome. And knowing him intimately and deeply is that great. And we understand that knowing is much more than knowing about Jesus. Knowing here, when Paul talked about it in Philippians 3, is an intimate personal relationship. Just like I know my wife, not just know about her. Knowing Jesus means I understand his ways, his thoughts, which we know are different than my own. It means I live according to how he lives and how he wants me to live. I mean, if you want to just see how different Jesus' thinking is from the majority of human thinking, read the Sermon on the Mount. Just read it through and think about if, what your life would be like if you lived like Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. That is radically different than the way most anybody thinks about the Mount. And we also pointed out last week that knowing Jesus in this way is going to require some sacrifice because we make a priority whatever we think is the most important or greatest thing for us at the time. And so to some degree, our calendar and our schedules and maybe sometimes our spending tell us kind of what we think are the most important things. And so we need to be willing to make adjustments for us to know Jesus deeply. We're going to have to make some changes. And if we want a life of love and of faith and of joy and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness and self-control, those things come from Jesus. So we have to decide what's really important. What's really important is that deep personal relationship with Jesus himself. And when we have that, a whole lot of these other things are going to flow from Jesus in our lives, which takes us back to Galatians. Let's think about the fruit. What's fruit? I'm not used to your Physical fruit is something you can grow and eat. Apple, orange, whatever. But here's the thing, do you manufacture fruit? Is there a fruit factory out there? I mean, you got a fruit tree. You can cultivate the conditions for the fruit, right? And if you will, cultivate those conditions, Lord willing, you'll get some fruit. But you can't make a machine to manufacture fruit. Now you can make a machine you can manufacture fruit snacks. Right? Kids love those little things, right? The little fruit snacks. Come in a little bag. The plastic, basically. The plastic fruit. Okay? There's nothing. There's nothing. They're called fruit snacks, but there's no fruit present here. Okay? There's high fructose corn syrup, plus artificial flavoring and coloring. In a bag. That's not fruit. I have eaten a real strawberry. And I have eaten a strawberry fruit snack. And they are very different. They're not fruit. They're plastic in a bag. Spiritual fruit is kind of the same. You can try to work yourself up or psych yourself out, say, to be more patient. We'll stick with that example, right? 
I mean, sometimes, I'm, no lie, sometimes it is, it's a trash a lot of traffic because I'm approaching a roundabout. <coughs> I literally think in my mind, I'm going to be okay. <laughs> I'm going to have patience. But the truth is, that really only goes about so far as the third person who cuts you off in that roundabout or doesn't know what they're doing. And then guess where the patience goes? Out the window, right? Summer goes out the summer. Because the truth of the matter is, if I'm just trying to gin myself up to be patient, that's fruit snack patience. It's not real patience because it's not part of who I am. It's just me hoping that somebody will behave themselves in the wrong way. And we all know that. Because it hasn't really become who I am. Now, we live in Iowa, so we like farming. Farming's a good thing. We like to eat. And you know how farming works, right? You prep the soil. Spring will be coming up pretty soon. We'll get the soil prepped. We'll plant some seeds, right? Put some fertilizer. Maybe have to do some irrigation, depending on the weather. Maybe use some weed control and some pest control. But then you know what? Some of it is completely out of the hands of whoever's doing the farming, right? Better hope there's enough rain. Pretty dry here this year. Things so happy. But then when it gets to the end of the season, you better hope it's dry enough to harvest. I don't think I have a good idea to be a farmer because I don't know. <laughs> right? Farmers got to do the work, but the thing is, the farmer can't force the beans or the corn or whatever else to grow. That process happens under the right conditions, but it can't be forced because it's a process that God designed into the structure of his creation, where the seed germinates and becomes a plant and then grows and eventually goes to seed and creates the corn or the soybean or whatever it is. You can't force the process. You can't make it happen faster. It happens as it happens. You know enough to time it pretty well and to do the best to give the optimum conditions that we can, but you know you can do all that and if you have an extreme drought, it doesn't matter. It dies. Or, like we had a few years ago, where we had, yeah, three, four years ago, where we had so much rain, I remember driving toward Des Moines, and literally half the fields looked like lakes. See, the same with spiritual fruits, the same with these love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self control, all that stuff. They develop from the Spirit working in us, because of the fruit of the Spirit. As we grow in knowing Jesus, it can't be forced because it's God's work in us. And it's us cooperating with him in that work. In other words, knowing Jesus more and growing as a Christ follower, lover, and savior is a cooperative process. Look what Philippians 2 says. We're backing up in Philippians now with Paul. Verse 12. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. 
And, you know, sometimes Paul writes stuff and it makes my eyes blue. Right? Wait, first he says, work out your own salvation. Then he says, it's God who works in you. Now, which one is it, Paul? But see, Paul here actually uses two different words that unfortunately in English we translate both of them as work. And it tells us that there's a cooperative process. That first one, where we're told to work out our salvation, means, has the sense of like, make ready or take care of. It's the idea of doing something toward an outcome or goal. It's our part. It's, if we were farming the fruit of the Spirit, it would be the cultivating part. The farmer has to go work out in the field with fear and trembling. But he still can't guarantee the results. But there's a second word for work that's applied to God. That's the word energeo, which means to actively produce something. We get our word in English, energy, from that word. That's God's part. So here... Paul actually tells us exactly how growth in a follower of Jesus takes place. I make ready, God produces. Just like the farmer makes ready the fields and the plants and the crops, God will produce the bean or the corn or whatever. Each person has to do their part. I have to do my part, and God has to do his part. He will not do my part for me, and I absolutely cannot do his part. Now, before I give you some practical thoughts on this, there's one other principle I want to point out. That is what I call the principle of indirection. That is the idea that growth is not linear or direct. That it's actually usually produced in a sideways manner. Now, what do I mean by that? Say I want to be more humble. You could, I suppose, get up every morning, you could stand in front of your mirror, okay? You can look yourself in the eye in the mirror and say over and over again, I am a worm. I am a worm. I am a worm. I am a worm. You could practice deflecting any praise you get. Somebody says, oh, you did a good job there. Oh. And, and the truth of the matter is when people do that, okay, I mean, almost everybody understands that's a false humility to do that. Somebody says you did a good job. Thanks. That's great. Praise the Lord. That's great. Move on. Saying imagine over and over again about being worm is really not going to make you more humble. Not to mention it's very bad theology. Jesus didn't die for that. Here's a better idea. Go spend a night per week for a few months volunteering at a homeless shelter. Go serve people who have much less than you materially, physically, or friends and support. I guarantee you that will be a much faster and better path to humility than standing in front of your mirror every morning trying to convince yourself you're a worm. Especially, I mean, I was, I mean, no worm in this day. So, I don't myself that. Which could grow more humble and thankful in a sideways manner by putting yourself in a situation where you experience a different part of life. That growth happens indirectly. We generally cannot, by direct effort, because it's God at work in us, make ourselves into the kind of people who are, are fully alive to God and are fully living the way God wants us to do it. Only God can really accomplish that. 
Only God can ultimately really incline our hearts toward him. Only God can reprogram the deeply ingrained habits and patterns of sin that constantly predispose us toward evil and transform them into more deeply ingrained patterns of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit, Romans 14, 17. And God freely and graciously invites us, according to Paul in Philippians 2, to cooperate in the transforming process. It's a lot like exercise, right? Some things you can work directly and some things you can't. You can work your biceps directly, okay? You can grab some dumbbells and you start doing some curls. I saw this funniest video on my Instagram one day. God was like, I'm tired of your Bibles. There's an unlimited number of people who are going to give you interesting advice on Instagram. Right? I mean, all sorts of crazy words. This guy's idea was every night before bed, you get a pair of dumbbells, okay? Light dumbbells. And you do 100 curls, then you do 50 skull crushers. The skull crushers where you lay in the back and then you do another 100 bicep curls, and then another 50 skull crushers, and another 100 bicep curls. And another, I'm thinking to myself, yeah, that probably worked your biceps. That would also mean I'm up till 3 in the morning. And, like, what? Okay. But you can, work, you can directly work those kind of muscles. But you know what muscle you can't directly work? You can't directly work your heart. You can't just go... Pull it out, the heart curls. They don't have a heart machine now. Well, they do. They have a heart machine. It's called a treadmill. Or as my former trainer used to joke with cardio means you move the weights faster. Right? If I want my health, my heart to be healthier, I have to work other parts of my body so that my heart has to respond and get stronger. I can hit the treadmill, and I can go hard on the treadmill, I can go box, or I can do whatever it takes, right? And over time, the heart and the lungs get stronger, but it's an indirect method. It's not a direct method. And that's how spiritual growth works. i got to do my part, since it's a cooperative process. And God's going to do his part, because he promises to. And growth will happen, but it is rarely direct and linear. Instead, it's indirect, and to be honest with you, in some ways, mysterious. It boils down to knowing and serving Jesus over time, which will indirectly produce in us a variety of desirable traits, including those in Galatians 5. But there are some practical ways to cultivate this. Just like, even though I can't work my heart directly, I can get on the treadmill, I can take the dog for a walk. <coughs> which, in our dog's case, is more like a slow job. Sometimes a fast job. <laughs> and when she decides to go, I'm a reasonably large guy. And if she really decides to go, so am I. <laughs> Here's some practical ways to cooperate in knowing Jesus more. I'll start with the common ones. Right? And this is my yoga. Now, if you've been at Green Hill for a while, you know I start out every year like the same broken record because I'm going to tell you you need to read your Bible and pray. This is my soapbox. It will be at the start of every year until such time as you kick me out the door 
or I have a heart attack because I didn't walk on the treadmill enough. Right now, Dr. Burton's thinking of all sorts of things he'd like to say to me. <laughs> But if you read the Psalms, they regularly, over and over, talk about being in God's Word, longing for Him, rising before the dawn, being God, that sort of thing. You know, you could, you could spend an entire year. Just read one Psalm every day. You might have to read Psalm 119 on the cover. But read, read a Psalm every day. Right? You get through the whole book twice. And you would get a, a really interesting grasp on praying and worshiping and being intimate with God. We all know to do it. Make time for it. Make time in the Bible every day. Make time praying every day. Serve other people in Jesus' name. Find somewhere to serve. Particularly serve people who cannot give you any benefit. It is no good to serve people who can give you benefit back compared to serving people who can. One that some people find helpful is to use a devotional, a devotional time. Now, I know that kind of seems obvious, but what I've found over the years is that most people do not actually use their devotional guide the way it was meant to be used. What do I mean by that? What most people do is they get their devotional, right, their daily crouton or whatever, and they read it, and they go, oh, that was good stuff, nice. And then they put it down, thanks, Lord, and off they go, right? Thinking they, well, I don't know what I need to do, right? That is not the way a devotional guide is meant to be used. This is not chicken soup for the soul. Do like we remember those books, right, back in the day? Right? Just to mind those for some illustration. Okay. When you're, when you're reading that devotional, you're, you're meant to put yourself in the place in that story. Think about what the principle is and you apply it. Think about how you'd react and what you would do. <clears throat> Take that scripture and see how it applies to your life. That's why I think the best kind of devotional guides are the ones that have reflection questions in each devotion. So that you can think about, be forced to think about what you just read. It's not a matter, you just don't read it walk away, supposed to interact with it. Now, I personally like to combine my Bible reading and my time with the Lord with a prayer list and a journal, because I do not remember things well over time. I'm old. Actually, I think that's just the nature of being human. We tend to not remember things long term. It's just the way it is. too much to remember. So if you keep a journal, or you keep a list, you can look back and go, wow, okay, yeah, I remember when God did that. That's where you can remember, uh, I remember praying six months ago for X, and God just did this, and you go, wow, yeah, that's amazing. That will strengthen your faith. You see God working over time, you start to see the patterns. 
spend time with people who also want to know Jesus as well. You know, somewhere, somebody claims that, you know, the five people you spend the most time with is who you eventually become. Like, I don't know if that was a real scientific study or if that was somebody posted it on the internet so it must be true. Kind of study. I don't know. But it seems fairly logical. Think about who you spend your time with, you're probably a lot like that person. Find some ways to interact with people that want to grow with the Lord. Bible studies, perspectives, and we offer that. We all sorts of growth from the Lord there. Small groups, we got that. Sunday school, whatever it is. I saw this great this little video the other day. This gal was encouraging people, and I thought it was a great way to lever level, leverage technology. She said, find a couple people that also want to read a devotion, read a book, or read their Bible in a year, or read through a book of the Bible in a year, whatever it is, right? Whatever spiritual thing. Find two or three people, and then just use text messaging to hold yourselves accountable. So, like, check in with each other real quick every day. Did you, did you, did you read this today? And discuss, you know, or say, oh yeah, this really hit me, blah, 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 kind of thing. Just use text messaging with a couple of people to interact over <coughs> some resource or over the Bible. Yourself accountable to be held accountable. Wow. That's, that's, a, that's a low burden point of entry, right? That doesn't take a ton of effort, but to produce really good results. Those are Now I'm going to give you some less familiar ones, but that I can promise you are more impactful. First, which is my favorite, is to meditate on Scripture. Now, when I'm talking about meditating, I'm not talking about you sitting in a room in the lotus position. Um, no, I call that napping. Because that's where I would be if I was doing that. Very quickly, I would be napping. I'm talking about meditating in its traditional, non-Eastern sense. Not an emptying but in a deeply thinking and praying about a particular passage. <clears throat> so let me give you an example. Psalm 1, 1 and 2. Very familiar passage, right? Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and not in the law he meditates, there's a word, at least in English, meditates, day and night. How can you meditate on a verse like this? Well, uh, here's some ways that I med meditate on this verse. I can read it aloud with emphasis on different words. Sure, Travis? Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, or stands in the seat of the sinners. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, or stands in the way of the sinners. Blessed is the man who walks not, and on and on. And you find by emphasizing different parts as you read it, different ways of understanding it and thinking about it come to mind. That's one way. You could insert yourself into the narrative of the passage. I am blessed when I walk not in the counsel of the wicked. I am blessed when I do not stand in the way of sinners, 
or sit in the seat of scoffers. But I delight in the law of the Lord, and on his law I meditate day and night. That's a whole different way of thinking about it, right? It goes from being something outside of me to being something inside of me. Me. Because, I mean, that's what the psalmist wants, right? He's trying to tell you, look, if you want to be blessed, don't be naughty and meditate on God's word. Or you could do a full what we call Lectio Divina. Right? That's where you read it, and then you reflect on it. You might read it two, three times, and then you just sit and reflect. So what does that really mean? What does it say about God? What does it say about me? That sort of thing. What should I do in response? Should I give something up? Should I do something? And then ask God, what do you want me to get out of this package? Or, you take that even farther and pray that scripture back to God. These are all ways to just meditate on scripture. Father, I thank you that when I don't walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of that you were promised to bless me. Lord, I ask that my delight would be in your law, in your word, and that you would help me day and night to meditate upon it. That was hard. But I'm asking God to apply his word in my life. Another not so common one, and I don't think we probably spend enough time in confession and repentance. I don't mean finding someone to confess to. I mean, sitting down and really, when we sin, thinking about our sin and why it happened, and talking to God about that. Sometimes I think we forget that somebody had to die to free us from our sins. Sometimes we need to remember that and keep short accounts. The only thing you can do is you can cultivate the awareness of Jesus' presence. Now, how do you do that? Well, you can go around throughout your day and talk to Jesus like you would talk to anybody else. And cultivate his presence. I mean, Scripture says he's there anyway. So when you're walking down the aisles in high V and you're looking for canned sardines or whatever it is, ludicrous. right there with you anyway. So why not talk to him? Maybe it sounds crazy. But he's a person. And you have a relationship with him. I talk to my wife. Most of the time she rolls her eyes at me. I still talk to him. Probably Jesus rolls his eyes at me a few times too. Like, you know better than that. But anyway. My favorite is very hard to do, is extended silence and solitude. This is my favorite, but it's the hardest. Oh, it reminds me of that old Chicago song, right? Everybody needs a little time away, I heard her say, 
sort of semi-Pelagian way of gaining favor with God. You're not somehow manipulating God or getting, you know, some better salvation if you do this. We're talking about growing closer to Jesus, who we've chosen to follow, and who gave his life for ours to redeem us from sin and death. Last week after the service, this got me thinking about this, someone asked me for a book recommendation or two about growing closer to Jesus. Good question. They mentioned just in passing that they had read or they knew about or something. J.I. Packer's book, Knowing God. You ever heard of that book? J.I. Packer, Knowing God? That was that was a standard years ago, right? I mean, I read that book in seminary, you know, in a class, and it's been a standard for Christians for decades. But I'm going to tell you, and I say this with all due respect to the late great J.I. Packer, who was a brilliant theologian in the Anglican tradition. It is wrongly named. That book should be named Knowing About God. Because it is a book where each chapter discusses a different attribute of God. Which is great! I mean, have we not been doing that in our men's breakfast? So clearly I'm not opposed to this. And must think it's a good idea. Right? We talked about the three omnis yesterday. So, so yeah, I mean, it's good, right? I mean, we need theology and doctrine for sure because we need it to keep us within the fence of proper biblical orthodox belief. But don't confuse it with knowing Jesus in a personal and intimate way. Because they're not the same. The grace of knowing Jesus is something that only he can really ultimately bring about. I can't earn it. But he only really brings it about as I cooperate in the process. As I cultivate the conditions in my mind and heart that allow God to do the work that he needs to do to bring me closer to the Savior. 
So if I want the greatest thing in life, which is knowing Jesus intimately, and I want all the benefits of knowing Jesus, which is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, because I do want those things, then I have to be willing to put forth the effort to cultivate the relationship. And when I do, God promises that since he has begun that work in me, to bring me to Christ in the first place, that he will bring it to completion. Let's pray. <coughs> Father, I thank you that you are not like the far-off imagined gods and nations. But instead, you sent your son to come to become one of us so that we could have a deep, intimate relationship with you. Not only made possible because our sins are forgiven and death has been conquered, made possible because Jesus is the perfect revelation of who you are as God. And that you have promised that as we cultivate the environment to grow, you will bring us closer to the Savior and help us to know him better. Father, I would pray for this year for every person in this room and everyone watching online that our deep desire uh, would be to grow to be more like Jesus. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, all those things. By knowing Jesus more. And by learning to live with Christ in us. And his living in us. We pray in him.